0: This is what we'd call Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. Jesus is a foreigner here, more or less. And here he's hiding out and trying to keep a low profile. But apparently, it's hard for Jesus to hide. He ducks into a house, it says, but he could not escape Notice, word gets around town fast, even without the help of social media, clearly. Oh, well, this is a cheap one, wasn't it, Ryan? It was this <laughs> cheap and lazy joke, wasn't it? Anyway. Look how cool and hip I am. Social media. Anyway. Um, anyway. One woman from the town comes to Jesus, and she falls at his feet in desperation. She's not Jewish, it says. She's a Gentile, a Syro-Phoenician woman, a non-Jewish Syrian woman, for lack of a better term. Her little girl, it says, has an unclean spirit, a demon, something that's oppressing her, distorting her, causing her affliction. She's heard that Jesus can help, so she begs him to help relieve her daughter of this soul sickness. And you know it's the kind of thing that can elicit compassion from even people who are normally mean and cruel, but not Jesus, apparently. She begs Jesus for help and Jesus responds like this. Let the children be fed first for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Now when Jesus says this, he mean, what he means by bread is his ministry, the power of God to heal and make new. Remember that this woman's a Gentile, a non-Jew. So what it's saying is what Jesus has got to give is meant only for his own people. It's only meant for insiders, people already in the circle of acceptability. She's an outsider, meaning she's also unclean according to the religious rules and law. So if Jesus were to help her out, it would not only tarnish his reputation and make him unclean, it would be like wasting your kids' food on the dog while your kids go hungry. That's what Jesus is saying saying here. It'd be an undeserved waste. Blessings are for holy people before unholy people. Insiders get first dibs over outsiders. She asks for help. Jesus turns her away. And then he puts her in her place. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus say something so cruel? It doesn't sound much like Jesus. Jesus who's known for his compassion and his inclusion. Here Jesus puts holy people over unholy people, insiders over outsiders, and it just doesn't sound like the Jesus we know and the Jesus we love, does it? It doesn't sound much like Jesus to us, but to a lot of people it may sound a little like their experience of Christians. Maybe sounds a little like their experience of church. Maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not. Maybe they're a skeptic or a believer in something, curious, but not quite there. Christian or not, maybe there's something about their life or their choices that they figure people will judge them for. Maybe they're not married to their partner, single mom with kids, drug problems, homeless, mental health challenges, gay, transgender, or maybe just too many tattoos. But they find themselves or their children going through some major difficulty, and so they look to a good, upstanding Christian or head to church in search of some kind of help, comfort, or just plain community. But when they get to us, they find out that like the Syrophoenician woman, by somebody's religious standards, they're unclean, unholy. Maybe when they come knocking, a cruel person pulls a Jesus, in our text at least, insults them and sends them home. But more often, it's a nicer person that says they'd love to help, but you gotta get holy first. Get married. Find a husband first. Drop the drugs. Stop being, or at least acting, gay. Drop your politics. Or learn all the right, politically correct language. Learn our habits and behaviors before you come near. Take a bath. Maybe. Stop dressing that way. Stop being so rude. Wash and work your way up from dirty dog to clean child at the table, and then we'll talk. Don't want to waste that blessing, after all. People's initial response to or experience with Christians in church can be like this Syrophoenician woman's first experience with Jesus. Grace reserved for the deserving only. And our personal holiness is preserved by distancing ourselves from the unholy, whether said kindly or rudely, it's insiders first. That's how many people have experienced us as, I mean, Christians in general. It's how people perceive us, whether we like it or not, and whether it's true always or not. This can be in the back of people's minds. Okay. So maybe this is the only sermon I'd preach where Jesus is the bad example. Okay? (laughs) At least at first. I mean, a lot of commentators throughout history have tried to justify Jesus' words to this woman. Some say he's testing her. Some say that he says puppies and not dogs. Like, you know... You know, don't you know little puppies? Little puppies? It's reserved for little puppies. He means it affectionately or something, but I, I think that's a bit of a stretch, to be honest. Whether puppies or dogs, it's not nice to say. The truth is here, though, that the text doesn't actually say. We don't know what's going through Jesus' head. We don't know what's going through the woman's head. But all we can say here, though, is that this experience isn't the end of the story. It doesn't end here. The conversation between the woman and Jesus doesn't end here because the script suddenly flips. In response to Jesus, this woman isn't turned off. She doesn't give up. But she persists. She knows who Jesus is and she trusts what he can do. She engages in Jesus in a bit of verbal jousting. Yeah, she says, the children eat first, for sure. But dogs, you know, dogs are still part of the household and they get the crumbs under the table too. I may be a dog, she says, but dogs are part of the family too. At least my dog is. First, this unclean Gentile woman offends Jesus' honor by ambushing him at his house. Now she's talking back, refusing to leave. And embarrassing this great teacher by using his own words against him. That's no way to speak like a Messiah, to to speak to a Messiah, so she's got guts. And you know what? Jesus gives in. For saying that, he says, for saying that you may go, the demons left your daughter. She heads home, and her daughter's sitting up in bed, cured. I love how one commentator puts this Jesus found it irresistible, he says. Now I perhaps see a wry smile on his face, and he says, You win. You win. It may not seem like a big deal to us, but this scene in Mark's story of Jesus is huge, it's a turning point because in healing this Gentile woman's daughter it becomes clear that Jesus ministry and his work isn't just for insiders. Jesus has come hasn't come just to bring his fellow Jews back into the fold but to bring blessings to the or to bring blessings to the already blessed but it's clear that God's scope of salvation is much 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 bigger. Jesus is there to extend the table of grace and healing beyond those who are already comfortably within the walls of the religious household. And it's also clear that Jesus' ministry isn't just for holy people either. In fact, Jesus himself is no longer has an interest in preserving his own reputation, his own holiness, because in admitting that she's right, he's submitting himself to humiliation in the eyes of all of her friend and friends and neighbors. It's a sneak peek of Jesus' suffering, humiliation, and passion on the cross, because Jesus is somehow deemed defiled, debased, spiritually unhealthy, and unholy in the eyes of the pious and the religious. And it's all for the sake of this hurting woman and her daughter. Instead of insisting that they make their way up, Jesus gets down on the floor with the dogs who are excluded from life's table. And he brings them the bread of heaven. In the end, what the text is telling us is that the first rejection isn't the whole story here. Jesus extends his blessings to all who long for and reach for them. Insiders and outsiders. The holy and the unholy alike. No matter the cost to himself, and in doing so, he shows us what true holiness is. All on the account of the persistence of this suffering woman. That's the whole story. In her book, Operating Instructions, the writer Anne Lamott, we have several Anne Lamott books in the church library if you wish to tell, I don't know if we have this one though. In her book, Operating Instructions, Anne Lamott tells the story of her recovery from alcohol and drug abuse. And in this story, she shows this same kind of persistence that this Syrophoenician woman shows. When Sam was six days old, she says, I took him to my little church in Marin City, the church where I've been hanging out for four years now. I got in the habit of stopping by the church on Sundays, but standing in the back, in this tense, lurky way and leaving before the service was over because I didn't want people to touch me, or hug me, or try to make me feel better about myself. After I got sober and started to feel okay myself, then I could stay to the end and get hugged. Anyway, the first Sunday after Sam's birth, I kind of limped in, and everyone was staring joyfully and almost brokenheartedly at us because they loved us so much. I walked like a ship about to go down to a seat in the back, but the pastor said, whoa, 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 not so fast. You come up here and introduce him to his new family. So I limped up to the little communion table in the front of the half circle of folding chairs where we sit, and I turned to face everyone. The pain and joy were just overwhelming. I tried to stammer, this is my son. But my lip was trembling, my whole face was trembling, and everyone was crying. When I would first started coming to church, I couldn't even stand up for half the songs because I'd be so sick from cocaine and alcohol that my head would be spinning. But these people... These people were so confused that they thought I was a child of God. They thought I was a child of God. Lamotte was an outsider by all measures. She was unclean, unholy, unworthy of the love given to her. She sat in the back lurking Around, likely fearing the kind of response Jesus gives the Syrophoenician woman. Off to the side of the table, hoping for crumbs of healing from the church's table. But like the Syrophoenician woman, she also persisted. And there she was, up front, brought straight to the table by Jesus. And her own demons were exercised for the sake of her newborn son. So today, if you find yourself in the shoes of the Canaanite woman, if your first encounter with Jesus in the form of Jesus' people ended in rejection based on someone else's measure of holiness by who you are and what you've done, whether done with cruelty and a frown or politeness and a smile, Or if you assume it will end in rejection and haven't even tried, first of all, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that someone presented God and Christ to you like this. It's not the God I know. Second, hear this. Hold on. Be persistent. If you do, miraculous things will happen. Because the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ is not primarily about our spiritual well-being and welfare, the insiders. As William Temple Archbishop of Canterbury once said, the Church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. This is a reminder to us that the bread of God's grace is not just for those of us already at the table. I mean, it doesn't mean we don't take care of each other or care about each other's needs, far from it. But it means that Jesus is always drawing the circle wider and wider and wider around himself. Jesus is constantly reaching outside our walls, breaking down our prejudices and judgments, drawing outsiders and those have been deemed too unholy to touch, to himself. It means that the gift that we've been given is given to be passed along to the next hungry soul. And like I said, when it is, miraculous things happen. But don't take my word for it. Ask Jesus. But when you do, make sure to ask twice. Amen.